You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, February 2nd. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A Sitka man last month was sentenced to 25 years in prison for the murder of his father. At a sentencing hearing in Sitka Superior Court, Patrick O'Brien apologized for his actions and the judge approved on his plea agreement with the state. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. 31-year-old Patrick O'Brien was arrested in 2021 after assaulting his father, 63-year-old James O'Brien Jr., in an altercation on Cassiana Island near Sitka. James O'Brien was medevaced to Seattle where he later died. After an agreement with the state was entered in Sitka Superior Court last summer, O'Brien pleaded guilty to one count of murder in the second degree and assault in the third degree. At his sentencing hearing in mid-January, O'Brien's public defender Nathan Lockwood and state prosecutor Amy Fenske both urged the court to accept the plea agreement. At the center of the agreement were issues that would have been explored if the case had gone to trial. Questions about O'Brien's mental health at the time, as well as the role self-defense would have played in the case. His mother, Tina O'Brien, said she felt her son had been acting in self-defense and thought he should serve less time. I pictured his, his dad worth of drinking and what would have gone on him, that none of this would happen. And when he was given a chance to speak, O'Brien expressed remorse. I would really like to apologize to my mom, putting her in this situation and taking away my father. I wish my dad was here, I could say to apologize to him. I realized I went too far. I realized that it was, it was way blown out of proportion in my head. So I just, you know, I feel really bad that my dad had to pay the consequences. Judge Trevor Stevens accepted the state's plea agreement, and O'Brien was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. In other courthouse news, a Sitka grand jury only indicted one person in January, an Angoon man who was arrested after allegedly threatening to hit another person with a wrench in December. On January 4th, 37-year-old Robert Tees was indicted on two counts of assault in the third degree, both Class C felonies. A Harvard study on charter schools has been driving conversations at the state capitol about ways to improve Alaska schools. The study ranks charter schools in Alaska as the best in the nation. Governor Mike Dunleavy has cited it repeatedly and called on lawmakers to expand the charter school system. Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone sat down with one of the study's authors to learn more. For Paul Peterson, director of Harvard University's program on education policy and governance, the results were unexpected. I, you know, I have to say I am surprised that Alaska came in number one. For several reasons. First of all, Alaska's traditional neighborhood schools rank near the bottom in national comparisons. And the finding doesn't really fit in with some of the other top-ranked states. Peterson says other high-ranking states like Massachusetts, New York, and Colorado tend to have highly educated populations clustered around universities and colleges. The odd state out really is Alaska. Why does Alaska perform so well? Well, Peterson says it's hard to say, and it's not the focus of the study. You'd have to do a sort of a case study of every state, and that's what's beyond our resources. He and co-author Dana Shaquille set out to produce the first state-by-state -state ranking of charter schools in the U.S. using a test given to a representative sample of fourth and eighth graders in every state, the National Assessment of Educational Progress. And while they can't say exactly why Alaska's charter schools outperform those of other states, their data does indicate that the benefits of charter schools are widespread in Alaska. When just looking at charter school students on free and reduced price lunch, Alaska's still near the top, number three to be precise. I found that sort of interesting, that this was not sort of like, uh, oh, 
hey, this is just a bunch of rich kids who are doing well. Uh, this is what we're seeing for kids pretty much across the board. And there's some data suggesting that non-white students perform especially well in Alaska's charter schools. The data is limited. There was only enough data to isolate white students, not other ethnic groups in Alaska. But among white students, Alaska came in third. So what's pulling Alaska up to the top level seems to be the performance of the non-white students. Another key finding of the paper is that it matters who authorizes a charter school, basically who allows a charter school to be created, whether it's a school district, a university, or a state agency. Local school districts look pretty good. They're sort of in the middle, but the ones that stand out where students seem to be performing the best are those uh, which, uh, where, where it's a statewide agency. And Peterson has some thoughts on why. Basically, it's the state's job to make sure schools operate effectively, and they've been doing that for a long time. And if you assign them the job of doing the same thing for charter schools, probably they're going to do a better job of it than some newcomer on the block. And that's been a topic of discussion at the Capitol. The leading House education bill would allow the Alaska Board of Education to directly authorize charter schools. As it stands, the state board has to wait for an application from a local school district or an appeal of a charter denied at the district level. But the study has some important limitations. First of all, it's based on data collected between 2009 and 2018. And Peterson says things might have changed since the data was collected. A lot has happened in the last five years. Call it COVID. I call it closing schools. Uh, you know, it's just a lot of things that have happened. So whether or not we would get the same ranking for charter schools in Alaska today is an open question. And he says it's also possible that there are differences between Alaska's students and those in other states that might make it difficult to compare the two. There's also the possibility that given Alaska's low population and relatively small number of charter schools, the test may not have captured a sample that represents the whole state. Whatever the implications, lawmakers will have a chance to dig deeper into the study soon. Peterson is due to testify before the House Education Committee on February 7th. With additional reporting by Tim Rocky in Anchorage, in Juneau, I'm Eric Stone. In 2023, Petersburg's economy got a boost from an unexpected source, film and TV crews. Three reality TV shows and one feature-length documentary were shot in the Midkoff Island town. The sudden influx of crew members was a small windfall for many local retailers, charter companies, hotels, and restaurants. But not everybody in the community is happy to see their backyard on TV. KFSK's Shelby Herbert has this story. The Tides Inn is one of just two hotels in Petersburg, and it's hosted almost every visiting film crew to pass through the town since the COVID-19 pandemic. The over 50-year-old inn is built into a steep hill just off the main drag and has a clear view of the ocean. When you walk in, it's tidy and warm inside. But with the departure of the cast and crew of Outlast and Port Protection, the lobby is pretty quiet. Hotel manager Holly Childs fondly remembers the crews that came and went this winter. You know, I've had regular hotel guests do more outrageous things than they do. More than anything else, Childs appreciates the crews for the lift they've given to the local economy, especially in the off-season, when the fishing boats have turned in and the tourists have trickled out. In the fall, when Childs would only expect to book the occasional traveling government employee or grade school sports team, Tides Inn was almost completely sold out. 
it means a lot to me like it does everybody else around here to get that little extra boost. To me, that's a very much a positive. Can't imagine how being a bad thing to have business come to town, you know, especially yeah. that time of the year. So it was, it's been really good to us. For now, many of the inn's rooms sit empty. Childs hopes more film crews will return in the new year. Business owners around town say the TV and film crews gave them a surprisingly profitable winter season. The U.S. Forest Service, which approved the necessary permits to film on federal land, estimates the crews flooded Petersburg with at least a million dollars. But it's a controversial issue in the community. The Forest Service allowed a film crew to take over a popular hunting spot during peak moose hunting season. Local subsistence hunter Lee Gilpin said Outlast set up camp in a spot that gets a lot of traffic from youth hunters due to its easy accessibility and safe terrain. If you're growing up in Petersburg and you had one season of your deer hunting that you couldn't get to during high school, it's a quarter of your uh, easy access hunting area gone. You know, a quarter of the time you can hunt there has been put away so somebody could make a few dollars. He's not the only one who feels that way. When the Forest Service opened a comment period for Outlast's special use permit, they were inundated with letters of concern about the project from people who use that land to hunt. This isn't the first time Petersburg residents have tangled with reality TV show crews who popped up in their backyards. In recent years, some locals opposed the Discovery series Alaskan Bush People, which they say cast the region in a negative light. Along with all the letters of concern, Several people representing different businesses in town wrote in favor of letting more film crews set up shop. Scott Newman is one of them. He's a Petersburg hunting guide and pilot. He also sits on the borough assembly. He thinks the film crews are a good thing for Petersburg. Newman turned his own profit from film crew business this year. He piloted seaplane flights for Outlast in the fall, as well as for a Nat Geo documentary filmed in late summer. But he says a lot of other businesses in town benefited, too. He says with falling fish prices and the sale of one of its two major seafood processing plants, the future is uncertain for the town's economy. Petersburg is a, a town that was uh, built by fish, basically. And, you know, we all see the, the winds of change on the horizon. And um, I think Petersburg is going to have to decide how they're going to navigate for the maximum benefit to the community. Now, he says, it's up to the town to decide its own future, whether that means trying to weather the storm of low dock prices or opening themselves up to a new type of customer. Either way, once all the media shot in Petersburg gets produced later this year, he's sure all the exposure will beckon new crews to town. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.